Hey, trivia fans! Looking for an exciting and unforgettable way to add some fun and friendly competition to your events or team-building sessions? Last Call Trivia has you covered. Our unique web-based app allows players to participate individually or as a team, making it easier than ever to bring people together, spark curiosity, create connections, and make lasting memories. Host your own trivia anytime with our new subscription and experience the best in interactive entertainment. Even remote attendees can play along. Check out lastcalltrivia.com forward slash shop for more information. Welcome to the Last Call Trivia Podcast. I'm your trivia host, James, and I'm so happy to have all of our listeners join in on our trivia team today. See, our favorite part of Trivia Night is the discussion that all the questions spark and the connections that those conversations create. That's why our trivia players always show their work and talk through the thought process behind each of their answers. Speaking of our trivia players, I'm joined today by the Last Call Trivia team, and that would be DJ Kelly and Omen. Before we get started with the game, we'll do our quick little warm-up routine in an effort to get everybody's brain working a little bit more smoothly. And I'm going to hear something new each of our players has learned this week. We'll start off with DJ and hear a little factoid, maybe a story, something that he wants to share with our listening audience here on the Last Call Trivia podcast. I dove into a little bit of random research this last week, uh, looking at some of the longest-lived creatures. I read an article that was talking about a particular particular animal that was very long-lived and that got me got me down an interesting rabbit hole and i landed on the longest lived vertebrate animal on earth which is the greenland shark or also known as the the gurry shark the gray shark and they live believe it or not to be about 400 years old but what's even more mind-blowing to me and this is what really made it at the top of my list of things i learned this week is that they don't reach sexual maturity until they are 150 (laughs) Uh, i'm gonna leave that out there that pretty much speaks for itself sexual maturity at 150 greenland sharks out there to each and every one of you we say hang in there it gets better (laughs) look that would be uh an entirely different steve carell movie in terms of uh you know 40 years versus 150 definitely a longer time to uh you know have that period extend but you know what that's okay Patience is a virtue, and I'm sure Omen would probably agree with that, and he may well have something to share with us as well. Not entirely related, but what's in a name is what I like to ask myself. I just came back from the the wonderful city of Austin, Texas, and that made me think, well, why is it named Austin? As it turns out, it is named after Stephen F. Austin, who was a Virginian and was granted by the Spanish government an impresario grant, which was to come and settle this huge area with Anglo families, which he did. He took actions, unpleasant actions, against the Karankawa people who had lived in that area, and he brought 300 Anglo-American families and their slaves and settled Texas. And it was actually the slavery issue that the Mexican government eventually had a problem with and that the Texan families wanted to advocate for, and which eventually led to the Great Texas Revolution, which is why Texas is part of the United States. And for all of this, 
Stephen F. Austin is known as the father of Texas, or in some circles as the daddy of cowboys. <laughs> very, very well said. And uh, yeah, having just been in Austin myself, I was similarly curious about the etymology of the city and uh, hadn't done as deep a dive. So I thank you for sharing that because... Um, Turns out it's, it's imperialism. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it's a fascinating Wild west e American history of its own, in a way. Just that whole Texas region and kind of, you know, the crossover between Spanish influence and, uh, you know, Americanized Wild West and all that kind of stuff. Very, very fascinating. All right, Kelly, yes. what's up next? <laughs> So the other day I had a pretty horrific tire blowout on the freeway. And as I was sitting for hours waiting to get new tires on my truck, I figured there have to be some fun facts about tires, right? And I found one. So can you guess who is the world's largest manufacturer of tires? I'm going to give you a hint. This is by the number of tires produced, not by the volume of rubber used. Any guesses? The U.S. Army. It's a good guess. Some suitcase manufacturer. Something that oh! makes little tiny wheels. You're on the right track, Omen. You want to revise, DJ? Um, Samsonite. <laughs> the right track, but not quite there. It's Lego. Oh. Yes. And it's because half of all Lego sets include some kind of wheels. So they need to make tires 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to keep up with the demand. They make over 700 million tires every single year. And I also learned, I thought this was very sweet, that Lego, the name Lego, is actually a portmanteau of two Danish words that translate to play well. Oh. Isn't that sweet? Super sweet. Well, look, I I, uh, have certainly seen those tires before i've held those tires before i would not have in any way guessed that that was going to factor into where you were going with that so here i'm like <laughs> thinking goodyear firestone if that even exists anymore which i'm not sure it does very good stuff and i think we're all enlightened for that and in today's podcast we'll be challenging the last call trivia team with questions that previously appeared in last call trivia shows in bars and restaurants around the country see our podcast show has two rounds of trivia three questions per round and then there's a bonus question in between those two rounds as well as a final question to close out the game. But before we dive in, a quick reminder, if you enjoyed today's show, and how could you not, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating if your streaming service of choice allows for listener reviews. And if you'd like to learn more about all of Last Call Trivia's products and services, visit lastcalltrivia.com for more ways to get your trivia fix. And we'll get started with round number one. I'll read each question aloud for DJ Kelly and Omen. Then they have three minutes to discuss and decide on an answer. You'll be let in on their thought process because in addition to their answer, they also need to choose a point wager. The point wager options in round one are one, three, or six. And basically they can use those three options just once on each option. So like the six, for example, if they feel like they absolutely know the answer to the question, might as well use the six on that one, the one maybe where they're not so sure. The categories for round number one are television, animals, and music. Television, animals, and music. I wonder which one they'll use the six on for that and which one will get the one. Uh, But we will start with television. Team, what late 80s and early 90s sitcom 
originally had a different premise and was titled House of Comics. Three minutes on the clock. House of Comics. So... And I think I hear Studio Cat in the background. <laughs> the Studio Cat w- was alive in the 90s. I, no, maybe not. <laughs> but I, I don't think he watched uh, sitcoms, nor one that may have included several comics. You know, I actually have a guess at this. And, yeah, I and have an it, idea. Let's see if we're on the same page. Okay, and it's not because I watched uh, TV during this period. We No, you were whittling. <laughs> yes, yes. As, as it has been well established, my family did not own a television <laughs> at that time. But I do remember seeing reruns, I think, of, of a show that has one of these words also in its title. Yes. Which, and what I'm thinking of is Full House. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Just because it's of Bob Saget. Bob and, Saget. Um, yeah. May he rest in peace. And also, it's the right time period. Yeah, Dave Coulier was a, a well-known stand-up comic. So Bob Saget yeah. and Dave Coulier together. John Stamos would be the third, which even though, I mean, he was a musician. So maybe you could kind of work that into the whole, like, you know, three guys doing kind of trying to make it as comics or music, whatever. It, it could make sense, but then it kind of swayed a little bit because I think the children maybe became the center point of the show and that was what everybody really resonated with. I also think I can I can easily see how that concept would not work and the producers would feel like, <laughs> oh, you know, there's something really just missing here. It's just these three dudes hanging out in their house. How dull. And so having bringing in the family element was probably very fitting with the values of that time and what people wanted on the TV and, of course, actually made it funnier. I kind of think we should go with Full House Maybe for three points? I don't know. DJ looks like he has a completely different idea. He's he's like he's not fully on board with this full house concept. No, I'm just I'm just wrestling with it. So Full House was a Miller Boyette production and they did a lot of the TGIF comedies in that era. So Family Matters and they they had, you know, five or six hits throughout that, that time period, step by step. And so I was just, I'm trying to think of I'm, I was running through their repertoire because it does feel like that'd be a Miller Boyette thing which full house was but i'm just going Last through call. all the other potentials i think full house is the one i would land on dj is officially on board um shall we go with three points we should bet three tanner children on uh, <laughs> full house james we would like to bet children which is something that i'm not sure is entirely legal <laughs> three of them on full house well, look, in the podcast world, you can get away with a lot. We'll say three <laughs> comics on okay. what late 80s and early 90s sitcom originally had a different premise and was titled House of Comics. For three points, you guys say Full House. The answer, Full House. Yay! Yes. yes. Well Very nicely done. And uh, yes, actually, as a matter of fact, that Full House intro to that sitcom, uh, you remember where their house was, the exterior shot. Yeah, the um, San Francisco the, shot. Exactly. The row of homes known as the Painted Ladies there in, in San Francisco, which I didn't get a chance to go see when I was there, but uh, at least I heard about them when I was there. So, Growing up, uh, by the way, a lot of people would mistakenly call me DJ Tanner because she was much more well known. <laughs> and, uh, Can we do that for the rest of the episode, please? I think we should. I think we should. All right. Yes. DJ Tanner. Definitely. Okay. That takes us to Animals. Uh, what was the name of their their dog on Full House? It was like Comet or maybe it was Comet. Spot. Yeah. Or, yeah, you got was it, it Comet? Mm-hmm. All right. Animals. What animal has the largest eyes of any mammal that lives on land? Oh, see, the land thing just totally threw me off. Darn it. 
three minutes on the clock. Because I was yeah, thinking of the, of the blue whale. Like, he would have, just he's so large, but he is not a land mammal. No, animal has or the largest size of any eat. mammal, lives on well, land. <laughs> whatever. So we're looking specifically for mammals. That dwell on land. That dwell, land-dwelling mammals. Okay. So let, should we go through, like, large land-dwelling sure. mammal, yeah, mammals? Like, like elephant, a, I was giraffe. Say a camel. Camel. Camels have very long eyelashes. <laughs> no, I'm saying. <laughs> we we know you're serious. This it's question brought to you by L'Oreal Paris. <laughs> it's relevant to the question. Maybe they're because... born with it, Omen, or maybe it's maybe they're maybe they're camels. Okay, so so we have <laughs> elephants. That seems like a very obvious choice. And actually, when you think about elephants, their eyes are are quite small. It's quite beady. But maybe that's a, a trick of perspective because the rest of them is so large. Okay, other large animals would be like a hippo, a rhino. Horses have unusually large eyes for their heads. True. Yeah, I agree. It, it Could it be something, are we missing any large predators? Because predators tend to have more developed eyes than... Mm-hmm. Biggest than... predators, I think, would be like lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> Got there. You're welcome for that. <laughs> Trifecta. I still feel like a camel... When, I, when I'm looking at a camel, which I do often, you know, camels and llamas, any, any of the camelids, their eyes are larger in my mind than a lion or a tiger. She just casually said that she often looks at camelids. <laughs> did anybody else pick that up? Sure, I, sure I, did. Did. I just am going to let that <laughs> one we go. Just, we just kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah. This I, is a I, tough one. I could be easily convinced that it's a camelid. I, I think that it may well be that there's some bizarre out of left field thing that's gonna it's gonna be the actual answer but i i could buy a camel you wish you could buy a camel dj have you I, seen I the mean, camel prices these days inflation hits everything omen hits everything it's invasive i'll go it's i'll go in on last on call you. i'll, I'll go, go in for half a camel yeah I'll, I'll bet i'll bet one hump on a camel i think james we should we should uh we should so that's pool a dromedary up. you're betting yeah, a we dromedary should pool, we should pool our money and put put one camel on this question all right one one point for camel yeah Makes me think of uh, that Indiana Jones movie when he gets mad at Sala and he says, no camels. That's a random reference, but what can I say? All right. Animals. What animal has the largest eyes of any mammal that lives on land? You guys say for one point, a camel. The answer, horses. Oh, we were so (sighs) close. Yeah, horses, as a matter of fact, they do, in fact, have the largest. The the only other animals that have larger eyes are whales, seals, and ostrich. Oh, Um, ostriches are unusually large for their head size as well. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Seals have larger eyes than horses. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to voice an objection here because seals do, in fact, dwell on land. They dwell both in land and on the sea. I, I realize that, but what I'm saying is if you want to be pedantic, they do dwell on land. So I'm throwing I'm throwing it back to the to the writers and saying, Sir Well I suppose a well, dolphin dwells on land <laughs> if it gets stuck on the beach. That is that is true. And actually I'm I'm getting a, a note from our uh, writing team that well you guys didn't say seals. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you, you make you know, a good point, it, it, James. <laughs> well, we, it was only one point anyway. That's only one point. All right, look, that takes us moving on from that controversy. Music. Music is the next category. A 1984 song by The Cars, a 1992 song by R.E.M., and a 2000 song by Incubus 
all share what one word title? Ooh. Oh, I know what it is. Me too. Oh, really? <laughs> I do. I know. It's shocking. Um, <laughs> so I'm I've... hoping that you guys can do it all at once, but let's say. Out of all of these, I'm most familiar with the cars, actually, believe it or not. I was going to say, that surprises me. Just because it's earlier in your history, and it would have been during the whittling period, so I would have thought that one of the later bands would be more familiar it's, to you. It's actually just that I, I really happen to like the cars. I think they're amazing. It's like every single song has an incredible hook. Did you say that um, they, they bring a certain <laughs> level of magic, Omen? Is that the oh, title? wait. That's not what I'm thinking. It's not the title. It's a, it's oh. a car song. Good <laughs> oh, lord. Sorry. My goodness. Like, Am I completely on the wrong track? DJ, no. your um your knowledge on this subject is just what I needed. <laughs> well played. Well played. Kelly, uh, tell us the answer. I think it's drive. It is. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Well, I'm glad we saved our six points for this one. No <laughs> Wasted on the camelids. No, you saved your six points. It's going to be six. And obviously, you guys are going to go with that answer. You're going to go with drive. Did the REM song or the Incubus song, did that factor into your thought process at all? Or was it just right to that car well, song? Well, in Incubus for me. No, the, the Incubus, Incubus song is drive. the one that drove. Yeah. The Incubus drove at home. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, I mean, Same for here. me, it's like I... I just that song by the cars definitely i would have been like i don't even know if I, I i can't think of what that song by rem is actually like i can't hear it in my head right now but anyway a 1984 song by the cars a 1992 song by rem and a 2000 song by incubus all share what one word title the team's gonna say drive for six points and the answer is drive yay so a nice opening round there for the team and that will take us to today's bonus question. The rules for the bonus question, I will let our listening audience know, it's a little bit different. So here's how we do it. The answer to the bonus question will be in the form of a number. The players probably won't know the exact answer, but the point is for them to give their best guess because at live Last Call Trivia shows, the top 50% of teams that get the closest to the exact answer win one bonus point. But since we can't do that kind of averaging out uh, with our trivia team just playing against, well, no one else today, the writing team set a predetermined range that their answer must fall between for it to count as almost that top 50% concept. Here's the question. What was the first year that digital music sales surpassed physical sales. Three minutes on the clock. Wow, this is a fascinating question. I, I have actually looked at graphs of this, and the thing that's really fun about it is that if you look at just vinyl, it goes, of course, meteorically up, and then it steadily goes down, and then it kind of crashes around the period that we're thinking of. But then... In recent years, it has resurged, <laughs> and vinyl sales are actually pretty significant these days, especially because nobody buys digital music anymore. It's all streaming. None of that helps to answer this question. I was going to say, when you were looking at these graphs, did you notice where, like, one of the, nope. one of the lines it, overlapped with the so other? I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's the mid-late-ish mid 2000s. Like, it, it took longer than you'd think for it to fully supplant. Like, it, it was starting to reach parity, I want to say, around, like, 2003, 2004, but like it, it actually, I think might have been 2007 or eight when when the surpassing actually happened because there was a lag effect, right? It, it was when I'm, I'm pretty sure it was when the iPhone came out because not everybody had an iPod, but smartphones ate that market completely. And streaming wasn't the thing until maybe the last six or seven years 
terms of being super common. So I'm question- I'm gonna show you my piece of paper where I wrote down 2007 as my yeah. guess. So, so when wait, you said that- Here's what I wanna ask though. Um, are we including CDs as physical? Yes. Even physical. though it is a digital form of music. It's physical. No, di- CDs are, are physical. Di- digital is downloads. Digital I would is... say I would say it is the seal of this question. It, it exists in both <laughs> territories. But I, but thank you for the clarification. Yeah, yeah I think no, that CDs are. No, physical I would sales. definitely put vinyl, eight track, CDs, whatever, all in that one category. Well, so this has a correct definition in terms of the industry measurement, and the industry measures CD sales as physical. So NPD so, puts out the the numbers on this, and they they call CDs physical sales. So I would say 2007, 2008. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was right in that era because as the smartphone truly began to eat the world, everybody started you know, carrying music around on their phone and nobody wanted to rip it from CDs and you know, 2000, the digital storefronts were, were very, very ubiquitous at that point. 2006, I think, was the first time I ever physically held an iPod um, and it was giant by today's standards. So yeah, I think, I think we should say 2007 or 2008. I'm, I could go either way. 2008 sticks in my head. Let's do it. Um, so I, I imagine 2007 on my piece of paper, just right. so you guys know. Right. No. So I imagine it's, it, it, if <laughs> with, it's arranged, no then we're going to be smack dab in the middle of it. So let's, let's do say eight. Let's go eight. Okay. Let's do it. So, what was the first year that digital music sales surpassed physical sales? You guys say 2008. The answer: 2011. Oh, wow. The range that we needed was on the long, on the long side, 2014. On the early side, 2008. Yes. Yay! So you get the bonus point. You got it. Wow. If you had gone with 2007, you would have missed it by just one calendar year, which would have been really, really devastating. And that's uh, how as a I live my fact, life, James. Missing by one calendar year. <laughs> you know, that's you could just blame what what did we say? Blame that you're still on the Gregorian calendar or something like that. Whichever, <laughs> that uh, I'm trying to remember Indeed. what that, that, yeah. that makes me two weeks late, not not oh, a year. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, whatever. There's limits to every excuse, I guess. Okay, very nicely done. Uh, getting us through the bonus round. We're we're playing very well here today. And we move on to round number two. The questions in the second round are always themed to a specific topic, and today's theme is collectibles. In the second round, the point wager options update to either two, five, or seven points. Just like the first round, the team can only use each wager once per round. They have those higher options to work with, so, you know, hopefully the seven-pointer they can bring home, uh, just like they did with the sixer in round one. The categories for round number two are places, people, and toys. Here's the places question. King Street, St. James in London and Rockefeller Plaza in New York City are the main locations of what auction house founded in 1766? Oh. I mean, there's really two options. Um, right. I heard a, I heard a really fascinating story recently about a an object that was considered, you know, massively valuable. And the owner, who was a, a, an extremely wealthy Chinese businessman, decided to auction it off. And, and he was trying to decide between the two major world auction houses. And they were both courting him and courting him and courting him for months to try to get the privilege <laughs> of selling this thing. And he said, all right, I've decided how I'm going to decide to choose between you. And they said, great, what is it? And he said, a rock, paper, scissors contest. It was the most high-stakes, multi-million-dollar, <laughs> single-round rock, paper, scissors contest 
probably in the history of the world. And and who won? I think it was Christie's. Which but I don't think is the answer to this I question. I think the answer to this one is softies. I've got... So I wrote down two things on my piece of paper. The first thing I wrote down, I call it Sotheby's. Yeah, I thought it was Sotheby's. Oh, is that how it's... I've, I've only ever seen it written. I've never heard it said. Okay, so the two things I wrote on my piece of paper were Sotheby's and Lloyd's of London. Lloyd's, interesting. Now, I know that Lloyd's is known for insurance, but I also felt... Yeah, I'm, I'm getting like this horrible look. We'll, we'll just retract Lloyd's of London. Never mind. We'll just go with Sotheby's. So, so hold on. Why, is it, why do you think it's Sotheby's and not Christie's? Is Christie's uh, a, a strictly American group? That's my that's my belief. That yeah, that sounds Christie's right. Christie's is American yeah. and Sotheby's, Sotheby's is, is England. I yeah. think you're right. I think we should go with Sotheby's. Should, should we go we big? Is, should we big? Well, or should we go home? Should we do rock paper scissors to decide which one we we, we use? <laughs> you know which, what? what? Which point wager we use? I think the strategy we used last time was really excellent. I think we should split it. I think we should go five. All right, five rare artifacts on auction for Sotheby's. Indeed. Thank you for teaching me how to pronounce it correctly. Uh, and and thank you because I I always thought it was Sotheby's, but then when I heard Sotheby's, I was like, oh, that's actually much more like classy and kind of like you know, there's a little sort of hmm, cachet to saying it that way. But uh, <laughs> anyway, places: King Street, St James in London, and Rockefeller Plaza in New York City are the main locations of one auction house that was founded in 1766. For five points, you guys say Sotheby's, and the answer. Christie's. Oh! Zazam! Oh, oh, Omen! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Glad I would didn't never go with the have seven. thought that Christie's was based in London, nor did I think they were nearly that old. I thought they came up as a competitor to Sotheby's, which was like the original. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. I, wonder, I wonder which one uh, started earlier. Uh, well, I can tell you that of the main premises for Christie's that we gave you there, they... Uh, didn't mention that there's also Alexandra House in Hong Kong. But as far as the connection to Sotheby's, that's that's a good one. I'm going to have to kind of take a deep dive there because that is also a British-founded American multinational corporation that headquarters in New York City. But they were founded in 1744. So Sotheby's does predate Christmas. So Sotheby's is older. Yeah. But that wasn't the question. Well... <laughs> It was not. Unfortunately, <laughs> it was not. It was not. Um, okay, so that takes us to people in the year 1994. What tech mogul purchased a collection of Leonardo da Vinci's scientific writings known as the Codex Hammer? Three minutes on the clock. Can you read that again, James? Absolutely. In 1994, what tech mogul purchased a collection of Leonardo da Vinci's scientific writings known as the Codex Hammer. So in, keep in mind that in 1994, uh, Steve Jobs was on the way of being kind of railroaded out of Apple into another, into another company. I don't think he would have had the capital to make this purchase if he was in competition with the other big-time tech mogul from that time, Bill Gates. Mm. So for whatever that's worth, I think those two... You know, going. I, I could see those two competing over this and it being a thing. Not that that was in, implied in the question necessarily, but something sticks in my mind that, that that was part of the conversation when this purchase was made. So the the basis of, of those two guesses to me is simply that these men have enough money to buy whatever they want. And There's are no tech mobile. Specific, well, but, uh, but I'm just wondering, you know, given the... 
they're tech moguls, but to me in like a computer sense, not in a in an invention sense of physical product. You know, like a helicopter and gl- you know, all the things that Leonardo. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm trying to think of something. Like, okay, to me, I know the answer is not Elon Musk, but Elon no. Musk to me makes things that are more physical in nature that are more aligned with the types of designs that Leonardo would have drawn, not things that fit inside a computer. Yeah, but this is is, uh, purchased by somebody who's a giant fan of Leonardo. I mean, I don't think that they were purchasing it because... It they wanted to replicate to anything. Yeah, it's it, it, this is you know one of a kind from Leonardo da Vinci, and I have the money to buy it. The other the other one that popped to mind was Larry Ellison, which ninety four would have been would have been Oracle on the rise, and he, he would have had he would have been flush with cash. So that that could be a possibility. But I I feel pretty pretty strongly it's got to be a Silicon Valley tech guy from from the early nineties. I think we should go with Bill Gates because if it was Steve Jobs, I feel like he is a flashier, was a flashier person and would have been like, I bought the Leonardo da Vinci Codex. Whereas <laughs> whereas Bill Gates just kind of does things and he you know, doesn't care how he presents himself or how he looks. Last call. Clearly. Um, so, two points, Bill Gates. Yeah, because two the last category machines. is toys and I have complete confidence that DJ will have the answer to the toy question. <laughs> two, two primitive bicycles on bill gates okay let's do it so the question was under the category of people in 1994 what tech mogul purchased a collection of leonardo da vinci's scientific writings known as the codex hammer for two points you guys say bill gates of microsoft fame the answer bill gates yeah, that's um, interesting, really, because also known as the Codex Lester, because it was purchased in 1717 by Thomas Koch, later Earl of Lester. The manuscript contains uh, kind of like what Kelly was getting at, theories on astronomy, the properties of water, rocks, fossils, and air. So lots of different stuff there that you can kind of read about in terms of what Leonardo da Vinci was thinking about all those years ago. But that does take us to toys. And the question is, originally produced from 1988 to 2001, what was the name of the brand of collectible figures focused on real-life sports athletes? Three minutes on the clock. Can I you can read that it. again? Because I think there was, a, there was a, uh, an essential word in there. Yes. Originally produced from 1988 to 2001, what was the name of the brand of collectible figures focused on real-life sports athletes? I can picture this because I had a Michael. It wasn't. It wasn't valuable. It was a mass production one, but it was a Michael Jordan figurine. It's not bobbleheads, right? Those are two. Those are later. No, it's it's not bobbleheads. It's uh, these were these were like little. They'd be posed in like like the Michael Jordan one I had was his free throw line dunk. He was in right, that pose. They're almost like little, um, kind of the size of a plastic army man or something like that. Like a, a large Joe. one, yeah. Like a large, yeah. Um, large plastic army man, yeah. And I can't think of their name. I can't think of the brand name. I can, I can see the figurines. I can see them on the store shelves at Toys R Us. We used to walk past them all the time. Yeah, I feel like I've seen these before as well, and have zero feel, idea what they're called. I feel like Kelly's got a good. <laughs> sense of this one. Okay, Kelly, <laughs> Kelly, save us, spare us the, the pain here. Well, I, I wish I could. Um, I can't even picture the little figurines that you're talking about, so I'm not sure if this is something that I'm familiar with or maybe I'd recognize the name if I heard it. I mean, can we go through, like, words associated with 
you know, can, can we do a word association thing to help trigger your memory? Like, you know, sports, baseball, basketball, hockey. They were like, so that's, <laughs> that's all the, words the brand, got. the brand name of the line of these products, right? Right. So, so tops make cards they might and be collectibles. Called, like, um, you know, like sports legends or something. Like if there was some tie-in with the with the words, not not just a random brand name like Lego, but was there is there some way we can come at the name from something that makes sense? Damn. Play, um, compete, team, little guys. Uh, no, I okay. So, so something last call. Something, something just popped into my head. Oh, thank you. It was a, it was a person's, like a person's name. Like, what's, what's his face from the Creative Family guy? I think it was, I think it was his same name. Uh, Seth MacFarlane. McFarlane. 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 Let's do it. What? Why not? <laughs> yeah. We're, so, we're, we're out of time. Yeah. I stupid, stupid connection, but this is, this goes back to, to uh, high school for me. Anyway, sorry. Uh, okay. I, I think McFarlane. Okay. That's my guess. And it's going to be for seven points because that's all that's remaining. So we'll go with toys originally produced from 1988 to 2001. What was the name of the brand of collectible figures focused on real life sports athletes for seven points? You guys say McFarland. The answer starting lineup. Oh, geez. Not even close, but starting but, lineup, but as good a guess as we had. <laughs> And I thank you for it, DJ. When we didn't come up with anything at all. <laughs> well, that's not true. Omen came up with little guys. There's, that was there's, closer. How about Sports Legends? Be... Sports Legends was kind of close. Starting lineup, Sports Legends. Thank I mean, you. that's. Yeah, there's got to be I was, a line I was of... on the right track. Um, as far as starting lineup, again, if I can ever link a little factoid here back to Last Call Trivia and Ohio, I will. So I once owned a Carlos Bayerga on the Cleveland Indians, now Guardians, starting lineup figurine. And then shout out to Cincinnati because the Chris Sabo starting lineup was really cool. He actually had his glasses on, which I thought was cool as a kid. I always liked the fact that his figurine actually had his glasses. So uh, that's what I can share for you about starting lineup uh, figurines. All right, that takes us to our final question of the game. It's also a multi-part question and the only question today that our team can not only fail to gain points on but they can actually lose points on so the trivia team can therefore decide to wager either five or zero points on this final question and they have to get every portion of it correct in order to earn the points and not lose the points if they choose to wager them because it's a multi-part question i'll give them five minutes to decide whether or not they want to bet the five points and come up with an answer but before we get to that, I'm going to let the trivia team know some inside knowledge. Their average final score up until this point. See, we've played 31 games here on our little Last Call Trivia podcast, and the team's average final score is 20.4 points out of a total possible 30 points. Right now, you all have 11 points. Oh, jeez. Wait, that's it? Because <laughs> yeah, we've gotten massive quantities of questions wrong. I, 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 gave a heavily double, on them. I gave a double check there, but yeah, uh, the, it hurts to lose the five and the seven in that second round. That's the key. But yeah, before we get there, so I'll let them know, 20.4 out of a total possible 30. You have 11 right now, so please be sure to keep that in mind when deciding 
whether or not to wager those five points. Here's the final. Geography. Put the following bodies of water in order of surface area from largest to smallest. Ooh, boy. So we've got Bay of Bengal, Caribbean Sea, Gulf of Mexico, Hudson Bay, and Sea of Japan. Can we hear this again? Sure thing. Bay of Bengal, Caribbean Sea, Gulf of Mexico, Hudson Bay, Sea of Japan. Largest to smallest in order of surface area. I'll tell you what's hard for me about this, (laughs) other than putting them in order, is, you know, for something like the Hudson Bay, I feel like it has very defined borders. So you can either picture how big it is or not picture how big it is. When you talk about the Caribbean Sea, it doesn't have defined borders. So I I obviously know where it is. I've been in it, but I can't kind of picture like boundaries to get a sense of the size or the scale of it. Do you know what I mean? I think that its borders are not as easily pictured. I think it probably does have I'm sure somebody has decided, all right, at this at this latitude we're going to stop calling it the Caribbean and start calling it just the Atlantic. But we are not privy to those <laughs> to those coordinates. <laughs> um the other confusing if, if only we were. The other thing to be aware of is that the the Hudson Bay is so far north that typically when we see it on maps, it is unnaturally stretched. Distorted if you're looking at a Mercator projection. Which oh, that's true, because I, I, I was picturing in my head just how huge it is, but never not kind of taking into account the, look, the stretching factor. At a Mercator projection. No, I you're hate a, the you're Mercator's a projection. Man, clearly. Oh, man, you're a I hate the man. Mercator projection almost as much as I dislike the Gregorian calendar. There you oh, go. no. Wow, shots fired. Um, but that being said, I still think that the Hudson Bay is huge. Yeah. I think the Hudson Bay is bigger than the Gulf of Mexico. I think it's bigger than the Sea of Japan. I think the Sea of Japan is going to be on the smaller side of these things, because the Sea of Japan is really just the, the space between Japan and China, pretty much. Is that accurate? Sure. I think that's I think that's what's I defined as the so, Sea of Japan. I, again, I'm not sure where it starts and ends on the top and the bottom, but well, we've um, got to we've got to just make some broad strokes here. So I think we should put Sea of Japan toward the bottom. I think that my instinct was to say that the Caribbean is is going to be the largest because it really stretches down. You know, it stretches from well, interesting. The Gulf of Mexico as opposed to the Caribbean. That's like they're really quite connected in my mind. Right, and I'm picturing, like, in my mind, the Caribbean is larger only because it has those undefined borders, whereas the Gulf of Mexico, like, I can picture it's, um, you know, semicircular boundary, and then it kind of ends, whereas the Caribbean then begins and and heads out east into the Atlantic, but that could be... (laughs) DJ Tanner, what does that look for? That is is the extent of my ability to contribute to this conversation, not that that looking for that was that was anti meerkat entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, what do we know about so the Bay like of Bengal? I'm having trouble even even picturing the, the Bay, Bay of Bengal. The Bay of Bengal. Being honest with you, the Bay of Bengal is, I believe, essentially the, the the body of water in the Pacific that is cradled by the east flank of India, the but subcontinent I that of India. Was the, uh, I thought that was the Indian Ocean. 
I think part of it must be the Bay of Bengal. So the then. Bay of Bengal, kind of like the Caribbean, the mm -hmm. Gulf of Mexico leads to the Caribbean. The Bay of Bengal leads Wait. to the Indian Ocean. No, isn't the isn't the Indian Ocean on the right side of the continent and the Bay of Bengal on the left? Like if you're looking can, at a traditional map projection. Can you say east and west, TJ? That that's. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the starboard side. This so, is why I was giving you both that look. So you think the Bay of Bengal is on the east? West. The, the west the west side of, of India. Of yeah, I think it's on the western India. half of the continent, and the Indian Ocean is on the eastern half. I mean, either way, that's a pretty large body of water. Let's put it at the top. I mean, to me, it's it's between that and the Hudson Bay, as and you're saying no way to the Hudson Bay. So can we do Bay of Bengal first, then Hudson? Yeah. We're, we know we're putting Sea of Japan last, so then we just have to decide between uh, Caribbean and Gulf of Mexico. It really depends put, how you define the Caribbean. Yeah, I would put the Caribbean above the Gulf just because I can't picture how far it extends out into what we know as the Atlantic. And it does extend pretty far because I think that the only really way to define it is to is to say, all right, where are all of the Caribbean islands and what is the, you know... And what some, would encompass, yeah. What, yeah, what general shape would encompass all of them. So I, I am not okay. super Last uncomfortable. Call. Oh, dear. So what we wrote down Last just call now... now was Bay of Bengal, Hudson Bay, Caribbean Sea, Gulf of Mexico, Sea of Japan, and I have zero confidence in this answer. You guys, do you want to bet the five points? Or I do know. Do you, do you want to do a safe 11? <laughs> really, really don't. This is my contribution to the conversation, folks. I do not want to bet the five points. There you go. I'm going to respectfully disagree and say that I think we should bet all of the points because at this point we're at 11. We could we could save ourselves and get sixteen. I think the likelihood of saving ourselves is slim to none. Fortune favors the bold, and we yet I am even overruled. Know, so I think it comes down. We don't even know where the Bay of Bengal is. It comes down I, to Kelly. So because I'm mean, gonna I'm gonna wager my ghost pride point on this. Okay. But I accept that the team wagers zero points. So the team wagers zero, but but Omen is to be clear, just to get it on wax, as they say. Omen is wagering his ghost pride point. My honor. So, yes. Um, <laughs> so we'll say that. Okay, his, his honor is on the line here. So put the following bodies of water in order of surface area from largest to smallest. I said Bay of Bengal, Caribbean Sea, or Caribbean, Gulf of Mexico, Hudson Bay, and Sea of Japan. So give it to me again how you guys were going to put it in order, and I'll just respond to that based off how you guys uh, put it in. Go, okay, go from largest to smallest. Largest, Bay of Bengal. Mm -hmm. Hudson Bay. Mm -hmm. Caribbean Sea. Mm -hmm. Or Caribbean, if that gets us there. There we go. Right? Okay. Uh huh. Gulf of Mexico. Yes. Sea of Japan. Okay, great. So, this is what I'll tell you guys. You did have the smallest, correct? <laughs> in that Sea of Japan is, in fact, the smallest. All uh, right. As, as per surface area. The, the rest of them, dead wrong. Just dead because uh, you're welcome, Omen. Caribbean Sea is actually the largest. Really? Mm-hmm. Bay of Bengal is is second. Gulf of Mexico is next. No way. And then Hudson Bay is uh Damn that Mercator projection. Yeah. I'm blaming that you. for this entire misunderstanding. Hate it. Hate it. It's like the Gregorian calendar. Wow. It can be it well, can be hey, blamed for a lot of things. Here here's the upside. We didn't bet the points. You didn't bet <laughs> the points. You're kidding. You didn't bet the points. There really was nothing on the line other than Omen's honor. So um, which, if which we're is, honest, which, you know, which thoroughly was lost tarnished. a long time ago. <laughs> thoroughly thoroughly yes. tarnished. 
All right. So um, as we mentioned, because it was no harm, no foul throughout the uh, betting process there, the last call trivia team's final score today was 11 out of a total possible 30 points. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in for the show. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share today's episode. And if you're looking for more trivia fun, head over to lastcalltrivia.com to check out our live shows, private events, trivia card game, and more. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Last Call Trivia Podcast. Until then, stay curious. So just a little follow-up on the Bay of Bengal. It is, in fact, on the east side of the subcontinent of India. It lies it, between... Is that the right or the left? It's uh, the right. The right. <laughs> I know. The starboard side. So it, I believe, it lies I believe between... you said it was nestled. You said it was nestled up against the coast of... It is. It's nestled uh, between the east coast of India and the west coast of Myanmar and Malaysia, the, the peninsula of Malaysia. So it kind of it kind of just kisses Sri Lanka and the Lakadive Sea. The one that you were thinking of, DJ, is the Arabian Sea, which lies between the west oh. coast of India and the east coast of Saudi Arabia. Well, the Saudi Arabian, the Arabian Peninsula. So Oman, Yemen, Somalia, etc. The Gulf of Oman. So Omen, when you were telling the story about uh, Sotheby's or Christie's or not not Lloyd's of London, definitely not them, and you said that there was the Chinese antiques collector who had the item. Do you remember what the item was? By the way, just to connect back to that, uh, Bill Gates bought the Codex Hammer at Christie's, so there was a little bit of a connection between the. Uh... Darn it, hmm. Sotheby's, Lloyd's of London. I'll add my little factoid in or my little observation from the show that when you guys were talking about the uh, digital sales for the bonus question and Kelly at one point, Kelly and DJ kept saying in response to something Omen said, physical, physical. And I felt like I was listening to like a cover version of <laughs> Olivia, Olivia Newton-John. John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm amused by simple things. What can I say? It's a great way to go through life. Yeah, I guess you, so. Uh, leaves you with many inexpensive options for entertainment. <laughs> so okay. it was the electronics giant Maspro Denko Corporation. And they had a, a huge collection of, of art, which included a piece by Cezanne, Picasso, Van Gogh, Gauguin, Renoir, and a number of other paintings. So it, was, it wasn't a single object. It was a, it was a huge collection, and the deal was estimated to be around $20 million dollars. Oh, wow. I found something interesting about auctions and just the value of antiquities. And I remember hearing a story once that, let's say you've got this very unique ancient Ming vase or whatever you have that's that's very special. And someone else has a similar Ming vase that's very special. And you want to sell your vase or vase at auction. What is the best thing that you can do to increase the value of your item? Break it. No. Well, uh, yes, but the opposite. Destroy all of the competition. Oh, sure. That makes sense. Like, if you break the other ones, 
you increase the value of your own, which yeah. you don't want to go around breaking into people's houses and destroying their antiquities, but just the concept of that it's so antithetical to me that if you destroy something that is unique and historical, like that's horrible. That's the but exact yet logic you're I was increasing the value. That was the exact logic I was influenced by when I decided to absorb my twin in the womb. Wow. Um, if you also, speaking of the Caribbean Sea or the Caribbean, it actually is pretty well defined because the Gulf of Mexico clearly is between, you know, kind of the point of Florida going up around past uh, New Orleans, down the coast of Mexico, and then up the Yucatan Peninsula. The Caribbean Sea starts on the other side of the Yucatan Peninsula. If you take that same line from basically Miami to Cancun, and then you go on the north side all around the Bahamas, uh, the Dominican Republic, British Virgin Islands, all the way down to Trinidad and Tobago, which is basically close to Caracas in Venezuela. And then you have to go all the way up the Venezuelan coast, down past Costa Rica and Nicaragua. So if you look at a map, it actually is more well-defined than I think we were thinking. It's defined by the islands on one side and the coast of Central and South America on the other. I want to point out that when... I'm ch totally different uh, conversational tack here, but I want to, want to fill you in on the McFarland point. So when I was in high school, the internet was not yet ubiquitous. Google was not yet a thing. So as uh, we were in the transition in the internet age where you couldn't really just fact check things. So if you and your friends started talking about something and it was wrong, you would just be wrong about it. You would continue down that wrong path. So I, I would like to point out that the toy line that we were talking about was not McFarland like Seth McFarland. It was McFarlane with an E at the end, like Todd McFarlane, the comic artist. And it turns out that it's his toy company that I was thinking of. They did indeed do sports figurines, but they also did all the comic book figurines and whatnot. And that's why we, we traded them around. But the thing is, we never traded them in their packaging. None of us were mm. keeping them mint. We were opening them and using them. We had them all as actual play toys. So we were trading them. And somebody said, you know, oh, what kind is this? And they were like, oh, it's a McFarland. And that just became what we called them. Whether it's a Caribbean vase or a Caribbean vase, it's time to jar this one up. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Good night, folks. <laughs> All right, good stuff.